Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, everybody. Is anybody else's favorite holiday Thanksgiving? Yes? Yeah. Yes, it's okay. We had some yes. And don't, don't be afraid. If I haven't said it before, I want us to be a church where we don't have to um, hold in our emotions. If you're excited about something, if I make a reference to something you love, like Thanksgiving, I would not be offended at all if you were just like, yes, yes, absolutely, pastor, or raise your fist. That is definitely something. An amen, you know, or a grunt. Mm-hmm, Yes. Let's do it. Let's, let's start forming that culture. Let's start doing it. Um, I could tell you this week, I'm very uh, thankful for this worship band, right? I'm so thankful for them. Yes, exactly. Exactly, exactly. So thankful, so thankful for you guys. Uh, so thankful I get to have lunch with all of you. I feel like, you know, every week I have the, the, this awesome opportunity where I have lunch with maybe one or two of you, but today I get to have lunch with everybody. So that is very exciting. And so this morning, very excited, we're going to be continuing going through the Gospel of John. And we've been going through John chapter 1, right, and the series that is called Jesus Is. And we've been exploring the identity of Jesus. Who is this Jesus guy? And we've had uh, sermons on the fact that Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the life and the light. Jesus is the truth and grace in the flesh. And this morning, it's going to be kind of different. We're going to shift a little bit from looking at the identity of Jesus to the identity of John. And our sermon today is called John Isn't, right? Jesus is, but John isn't. So let me pray for us as we start. Mighty Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful, Lord. Thanksgiving week, what a week, Lord, just to be thankful for all we have in you all the blessings you've bestowed upon us, Lord. Peace and chaos, Lord. Just your your mercy and love just sustains us, Lord. And we are so thankful, Lord. May our whole worship here this morning, the presenting of your word, our singing together, our spending time together, we know that you consider that a worship of yourself, the fact that we would love each other. And so may this service, Lord, show that we are thankful as a church for you, Lord. Amen. So today we're going to go through verses 19 through 28, another big chunk, right? And so let's start by reading verse 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent the priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And so right off the bat, before we get to the identity of John, we need to get to the identity of the people looking for the identity of John. And so these people... These priests and Levites, which just means they're both Levites, but the priests are are descendants of Aaron. And so they get to be priests because you have to come from a certain lineage to be a priest for the Lord. But more importantly, who sent them? Like who sent these guys, right? We we know they are sent. And just a couple of verses later in verse 24, we see they are sent by the Pharisees. And this is the first time in the Gospel of John that we hear about the Pharisees. Now, if you've read any of the Gospels or the book of Acts, you know you hear the word Pharisees like, 
You get chills, right? Or you roll your eyes like, oh no, it's the Pharisees. And so <clears throat> they're essentially the bad guys, right? The villains. We don't know what they look like, but in our heads, they wore like all black, long robes, you know, like Sith or ring rays, probably had long goatees and and they're the bad guys, and these are the guys who clash the most with Jesus. These are also the people who take the brunt of Jesus' criticism. They, they really do, and we'll see that this morning. Jesus does not hold back on them, but why is that? And so I want to take a few minutes this morning and really take a fair look at the Pharisees, because we're going to come across them through this entire book. We're going to come across the Pharisees, so now that we're meeting them, we need to know who they are. So let's take a fair look at the Pharisees. What is a Pharisee? How can you describe that? It's very difficult. So being a Pharisee, you know, it's a school of thought. It's sort of a religious practice. It's, it's a movement. It's a philosophical concept. And basically now, the Pharisees have become what we know as rabbinic Judaism. So that's, that's where it is today. But it's interesting that they didn't call themselves Pharisees. Like, they didn't call themselves that. It does sound like a cool biker gang name, but that is not what they called themselves. Other people called them Pharisees. And so Pharisee means that they were separate. Like, they, they stood out. There was something about them that was different. And so I, I want to I look at that. What made them different? What, what makes everybody notice that these people are different? And the first is that they are theologically sound. Theologically sound, which probably doesn't make sense, knowing what we, knowing what we know about them already, but they believed in what we call the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. They believed in all of the law and the prophets, including belief in the afterlife, which, like us, we see in Daniel 12, 2, where it says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And these beliefs actually set them apart from other religions, different sects of faith, within that community, even other forms of Judaism. Like Sadducees and other forms of Judaism, they only believed in the law in the first five books of the Bible. So this is something very unique to them. Second, they trained everyone for daily holy living. They believed in training the common man, which was not the practice. You know, if you were a very educated you know, scholar of the law, like you were elite and rich, and you didn't share that information because that information keeps you rich. And yet the Pharisees, they were known as like the common priest of the common people. And so they trained the people on how to live holy lives all week long, not just at temple, but how to live holy lives all the time. They established the oral tradition, which still exists today. They came up with 613 more laws just to buffer the law of God. They were so passionate about the law of God, they made up 1613, I'm sorry, 613 more laws just to buffer the law of God that so nobody would break it, and that's known as the Mishnah. And lastly, the Pharisees are old school, just like me, man. The Pharisees are so old school, especially for their time. As Judaism began to become more Greek, right, Hellenistic, and Greek thought is just starting to come into the church, and the church is starting to be dominated, right? The temple is being dominated by Greek thought because that's where all, where all the money is coming from. And they said, no, we're going to stick to the law and prophets, which is really a benefit to us today. So much of the writings we have about the Old Testament and the best copies were actually from the Pharisees clinging to it and saying, no, we are going to protect these. And so right now, you might be saying to yourself, well, this does not sound that bad, 
right? This actually sounds good. These, these sound like the good guys of the story. So where does it all go wrong? And to understand what was wrong with the Pharisees, we only need to go to the words of Jesus himself. In one chapter, Matthew 23, Jesus unloads on the Pharisees. Again, in one chapter, he says, they don't practice what they preach. They ask people to do things that they would never do. And if they do them, it's just so other people will see and so that they can be acknowledged. In this same one chapter, it says of the Pharisees, and this is Jesus talking, think about this. The Pharisees are blind guides, hypocrites, children of hell, blind fools, whitewashed tombs, meaning nice on the outside, but dead on the inside. They are lawless serpents, brood of vipers, and murderers. Like that's Jesus talking about them. And that's all in one chapter. It doesn't even go through the entire, you know, Gospels. And so Jesus is harsh on this one group, harder than on any other group, because as they would tell you, like, they should have known better. They should have done better, right? They had the law and the scriptures. They memorized them. They taught them to people. They had enough time to make extra laws, and yet they didn't exercise it themselves. Instead, their devotion to the the law became their undoing. You know, their, their love for the law, it became an idol to them. Like the law was their idol now. Their virtue became their vice. And so in their passion for the law, they completely lost sight of who the lawgiver was. Just completely started to miss it. And I don't blame you if out throughout the rest of this gospel, when we come across the Pharisees, if you cringe, you know, or if you're upset, shaking your head, oh no, it's the Pharisees again. Um, you know, or if you hear villainous music, like Imperial March, whenever they they come along. But consider two things as we come across them. The first is that there's actually good Pharisees. And we know this from people like historians like Josephus. We know from other sources there's actually good Pharisees. And two that we know by name in the Bible, Nicodemus and Gamaliel. So there's some good Pharisees. They're not all bad guys. And second, the Pharisees should be a cautionary tale for us. When we hear of the wrong things they think, and say, and do, and spoiler alert, they're going to do a lot of wrong stuff as we go through this gospel. We shouldn't be shaking our heads at them, but looking inward and asking whether or not we are capable of doing those, the same things. Could we? Should we? Would we do the things that they do? And let us not forget that it's by grace that we're here. It's by grace that we know Jesus. You know, and by grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask that none of us would ever let our religion turn into our idol or that we think just by doing certain things that that's going to save us. We, we only need to cling to Christ, right? The name of Jesus by grace alone, and that's what's going to save us. And so when we see them, let's remember that, how things can go so wrong so fast. And all that, bring, all that <laughs> just bring us back to verse 19 where we started. And the priests and the Levites asking John, who are you? Who are you? Now it appears that we join this mid-conversation because of John's response. It's it's interesting because it says he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. That's not what they asked, (laughs) right? They did not ask if he was the Christ. 
which means this is either at the end of a long conversation that we're just joining in on, or this conversation has happened over and over because as soon as they ask, like, who are you? He's just, I'm still not the Christ. Guys, I am not the Christ. Stop asking me who I am. But there's got to be something about John, right? There's something about him that people would think of him as the Christ, something about the way he lives and preaches and lives. And this is also the first time that we hear the word Christ in this gospel. And so Christ, if you didn't know, it's basically English for Christos, which is the Greek for the Hebrew word Meshiach, where we get the word Messiah, which is translated the chosen one or the anointed one. So all those terms, anointed, chosen, Messiah, Christ, all the same term. And so again, there's something about the way that he preaches, and they are just on edge. The Pharisees know, like there's something about John that is huge. This guy is like an Old Testament prophet. There's something about him where we have to find out who he is. He is somebody on God's plan. We just need to figure out who he is. And so let's read through, um, through verse 28, and then we'll come back and dissect it all a little bit. <clears throat> and they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, which we talked about. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one that you don't know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So who is this John guy? Who is he? And so this morning, along with the priests and the Levites, we're going to explore the identity of John, and we're going to look at four truths about the identity of John, four truths that are also important for us as we consider our own identity. And the first truth is this. John knows who he isn't. Or he, yeah, he knows who he isn't. He knew who he wasn't, right? And we see this in the fact that three times he says no. In verse 19, I am not the Christ. In verse 21, when they asked if he was Elijah, he's like, I'm not. I'm not Elijah either. And then when they asked if he was the prophet, he's like, still no. That's not who I am. And he didn't pretend to be someone he wasn't as well. We can judge by the fact that everybody's coming to him, priests, Levites, Pharisees, everybody in the community. He's very charismatic and very skilled. We know he's sent from God, and man, he could have definitely made something of himself. He definitely could have been somebody, but he knows who he isn't, and so he's not trying to make a big deal about himself, which makes for an awful interview if you're a priest and Levite, right? You just have John shaking his head saying, no, no, yeah, no. How about no? Yes, it's not a great interview so far. And so John knew who he wasn't, but do we know who we are not? And it may sound like a silly question. Do we pretend to be something we're not? Are we really as cool as our social media betrays us? Right? And if we're not, why are we trying? Why, why are we even trying to do that? 
And I think part of the problem is that we know who we are not, but we are not okay with it. We need to be okay with what we are not. And we need to be okay with being not what we thought that we were going to be. We live in an age where people are not okay with being what they are not, right? Whether it be gender, age, race, people are not okay if they are not what they're not. <laughs> and so, and some would say, well, just leave them alone. But there's a problem. In, in these same areas, we have sickness, depression, substance abuse, and suicide. So it's not okay. It's not okay that they're, that they're not okay with what they are not. And to make matters worse, as a society in general, I'm not saying us specifically, but in general, as a society, we haven't helped them. We've just played along and said, it's okay, you can call yourselves whatever you want. It doesn't matter. It reminds me of Act 2, Scene 2 of Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet. When Juliet is talking about reality and language, right? And she says, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. And what she's saying is like, what does it matter what we call things? Because they're always going to be what they are anyway. So what does the label matter? We should be focusing on the substance. And we see this in ministry as well. Huge, orthodox ministries, churches are splitting apart in this country, all around the world, because we can't tell people they, they're not what they're not. And so we are ordaining people who are not biblically qualified, and it's splitting apart the church. Not everyone can be a pastor. And that's okay. It really is, I promise you. God's doing amazing things through everybody, through you. Yet some churches care more about inclusion and feelings and tradition and culture instead of what God wants and biblical truth. You see, churches have forgotten who they're not, right? They're not cool. They're trying to be cool and inclusive and let everybody play and, and have a part. But our job isn't to be cool. God wasn't crucified, right? Jesus wasn't crucified because he was cool. It's because he told the truth. And we need to be Christians in a church that, that are known for being what we're not. We're not like the world, right? It's good to be known by what we're not. We are not like the world out there. And we need to speak up in love in love, not attacks online, but in love and be okay with telling people that's just not who you are. That, that's, you're not that thing. And this includes positive aspects, right? Like uh, not being a slave to sin anymore, you know, not being an orphan, not being alone, not being dead in our sins, not being condemned. There's nothing wrong with not being something. And like John, we need to find the truth of our identity and knowing who we aren't and being okay with it. The second truth of John's identity is that he knows who he is. And we see this, just like John said no three times about who, we, you know, who he wasn't. He has three I statements. He's like, I am this, though. And so the first one is in verse 23 where he says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And he is calling out Isaiah specifically, chapter 40, verse 3, where almost word for word it says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 
Now, notice that he says voice, right, and not word, because we've already learned, like, the word is Jesus. The word is God, the communication, the revelation of God. And John is just saying, I'm a voice. I'm just a guy talking about God. You guys are asking me if I'm God, and I'm telling you I'm the guy talking about God. So John isn't God. John isn't the one they are looking for. It also says here that John is to prepare the way. What does that mean? How do you prepare the way? Well, in verse 26, his second I statement, he says, I baptize with water. Not a radical concept for converts of any religion, even Judaism. You know, you get baptized and you're basically symbolically washing away all of your past life's belief to join, you know, the new religion. Only the priests and Levites, they understand that, but like, who's John to do that? And what is he baptizing for? What is he baptizing people into, right? And so we know from Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, he's calling for people to change their mind about God. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so what he's doing by preparing the way, he knows the Messiah is here. He's here by preparing the way. He's baptizing people. Change your minds. Don't miss God. Change your minds now. Let's get you baptized. God is here. And so he's preparing the way for the Lord by getting as many people as he can to change their mind about him so they don't miss him. And so again, this doesn't make for a good interview. So John, who is the voice and the baptizer, is just saying, I'm just a guy who yells and splashes water on people, right? What do you want from me? I'm not the guy that you are looking for. And we'll look at his last I statement in a few moments, but I wanted to talk about how important it is that we know who we are. This is something that we need to be able to answer, especially as Christians, who we are in Christ. What are our gifts, and are we using them, right? And so I wanted to share with you a little bit about how I came to know this in my own life. And it was a struggle. It was absolutely a struggle to find out who I was. <clears throat> now, if you haven't heard me say this already, you will. I do know who I'm not. I am not Tim Keller. <laughs> I am not John Piper. I am not John MacArthur. I am not that guy. We all know this, right? I, I am not on that level, and I, I am okay with that but I am the guy who shows up. And for a long time, I didn't. When I became a Christian, I felt called into ministry immediately. And I served in the church, like, you know, youth pastor doing a lot of stuff, but I said, God, I can't preach. I'm not that guy. I told God who I was and not the other way around. I said, look, I know who I am. I'm the guy that's been thrown out of high schools, right? I, I, I'm, I don't have a lot of money. Um, I'm not charismatic, I'm not good-looking, I'm not a good communicator. Like, there's nothing about me that you can use. And so I wasted 20 years of my life not preaching the gospel, even though I knew it. And I don't want any of us to be in that situation. <clears throat> Eventually, when I did decide to go to seminary, after all that time and knowing what I was called to do and doing a lot of other stuff and not feeling satisfied, I went to seminary and one of the first times I preached, it was a sermon in Mexico. And it was absolutely the worst sermon I've ever preached. For so many reasons I'm not going to get into this morning. It was absolutely horrid. And so afterwards, I sat down on the first row and I tried not to cry. And I was angry. I was angry at God. because so I was like, I told you, God, 
I told you that's not who I am. Why, why are we pretending that this is who I am? And then after the service, after the final worship song, <clears throat> people started coming up to me, individuals, families, um, sometimes through a translator because I don't speak Spanish, and telling me that they had heard the word of God from me, that they had prayed that morning a specific prayer, and my sermon was literally the exact answer to that. Multiple families absolutely crying, talking about how God used me. And again, I don't say that like, oh, I have mad skill, you, don't, you guys don't know how blessed you are. I'm saying like, it was horrible. And I remember in that moment, God basically telling me, this is how it's going to work from now on. You are going to show up and you are going to preach. And then I'm going to preach a better sermon than you. Which means God is going to, in his spirit, is going to use my showing up and my words. And he's going to do something that I'm not even capable of doing, so I shouldn't even be worrying about it anyway. And so from then on, I didn't turn down an invitation to preach anywhere. My family can tell you we went everywhere. We stayed in some of the worst hotels that, I mean, just comically bad. You, you wouldn't believe it because I knew who I was and I had to show up. If somebody needed a pastor, if somebody needed a sermon, I was going to be the guy who now showed up. And it was kind of cool, like the week that I came back from that trip, as I was in a, the cohort at church, like an internship um, to learn how to pastor, one of my mentors turned to me completely out of character and pointed at me and said, James, ministry is showing up. And so in my heart, I was just very happy. Like, I just confirmed what the Lord had told me. Now, as I mentioned earlier, not everybody's qualified to preach, and that's okay. That's okay. But the Bible does say that we all have something to do in the church. We all have something to do. I think we read last week, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, uh, where it said, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, yeah, you were saved, but not just to be saved, there's work to do. God is going to use you wherever you are. And we all have gifts, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And so you have an identity in Christ, and you have something to do in the kingdom of heaven, which is at hand today, this morning. And so finding your identity in Christ as well, it helps outside of the church as well. Just like the Pharisees were trying to teach people how to, all throughout the week to have this identity. Finding your identity in Christ means that you don't have to find it anywhere else. You don't have to find it in being a fan of a sports team and the car you drive and your career and your economic or marital status. None of those things has to define you or be your identity because they can't be. They, they can't be the foundation of your identity. And yet we know because God redeems all of our life that it's okay to not be something, right? And it's okay to be something he's called us to be in its place. For instance, there's many people out there who all dreamed of being a sports star, right? I mean, just, I talk to teenagers so often and they're all going to play in the NFL, all of them. You know, and that's a great dream. That's a great dream to have, but... In reality, what happens when that doesn't happen? And yet God redeems our lives and gives us that identity to say, no, you know, we can be an awesome coach that helps men find their way, right? That helps athletes find their way. 
Or maybe you thought you were going to be married and have kids, and that was going to be your identity. And then it didn't happen. And yet God has given you opportunity after our opportunity to mother, you know, kids at church and teenagers and people outside in the world who need to be loved and mothered. Or like John, maybe your whole identity, your whole career in existence is going to be making somebody else famous, right? which should be all of our goal, right? That all of us, we would know for being, make much of Jesus, right? That we made much of Jesus, that we cared about making Jesus famous. And so we need to know who we aren't and we need to know who we are. And the third truth about John's identity is that he knows who he serves. <clears throat> you with me, church? All right. <clears throat> and here's the problem about having lunch, chili lunch after church. Like, I know what I'm competing with. <laughs> Smells coming through. So, you know, thank you so much. <clears throat> so John knows who he serves. And the fact that, that he knows who he serves is evident in verse 21, <clears throat> where it says, And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. And I know this is kind of a weird, odd way to point this out, but hear me out. Hear out my arguments that this is a fair question. Right? This is a fair question to ask John. Because in Malachi uh, chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Moreover, consider these contrasts of these verses. One, talking about Elijah in 2 Kings 1.8, where it says, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And then the description of John the Baptist in Matthew 3.4. Now John wore a garment of hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And not only that, they had the same message of repentance, right? So I think this is actually a really good question, right? More than Christ, the fact they thought that John was the Messiah, I think is a complete, complete, you know, strike. They just whiff on that one. But the fact that he could be Elijah, I think that's a very good, insightful thing to see and to ask him. And so what's the problem here? Well, the problem is that John says he's not. He says no. Why is that a problem? Because Jesus has a different answer. In Matthew 11, verses 11 and 14, Jesus says, Truly, right, truly I say to you, among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. And so for people who don't agree with the Bible or they say it's not reliable, this is a not reliable source, there's contradictions, like they're waving their arms here, contradiction, right? John says he's nobody, he's a guy yelling and splashing people, and he's not Elijah. And Jesus says he's the greatest person ever, and he is Elijah. And so it appears that we have a huge contradiction, but in fact what we have is a contrast, as far as John was concerned, he was just doing what he was sent to do. His job was not to do anything except be the voice and to baptize people and to prepare the way of the Lord. As we would say today, uh, to make my kids cringe, John understood the assignment. John knew who he served, and John let God decide who he was. He understood the reality, as Craig Escanier puts it, that no man is what he is in his own eyes. He really is only is as he is known to God. 
And so from the point of view of God, it's not a contradiction. It's a contrast. God says, John is awesome. He's the best ever. He's doing exactly what I told him to do. So the question today is, who do you serve? People or God? Do you care about what people see first or God? So this past week at Vanguard, uh, we celebrated an anniversary, right? Six years. Six years. And so you guys should definitely be excited about that. Come on, six years, guys. That is huge. That is a huge deal. That is very exciting. Now, the world might say the opposite of me. The world might say that you all wasted your time. You have been setting up and tearing down this service for six years? Are you serious? You guys could have been watching football. You guys could have been eating Randy's Donuts. You guys could have been going to a bigger church, a mega church, and doing nothing but just showing up, right? Yet I know watching your faith and your works that you know how this works and you know how God views you. I see what you do, but more importantly, God sees what you do and he has a much different opinion than the world does. Do you know that? Yes, okay. I hope so. You see, we all need to know that we serve something or someone. We all have an engine that runs us, that we run on, that just gives us our drive. We all have a worldview that operates everything we do and every decision we make. We all do something for a reason. Why is that? Who do you serve? And so know who you aren't, know who you are, and know who you serve. And lastly, like John, spread the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In the end, John cared more about the knowledge of Jesus than anything else he was doing. He could have played so many cards about why he was important. I mean, his biblical birth, right? All these prophetic things over his life, but at every moment, it's just point to Jesus. And we see John's third I statement in verses 26 and 27. John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one that you don't know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And that's not an expression we use. I mean, it's just not. But basically, that was considered at the time the most menial task. Like there's lists that we found of things like, in order of things being like menial, that was the bottom one. And John is just saying like, I'm not even worthy to do that. I'm so far beneath that. And as we saw last week, and as we'll see next week, like John takes every opportunity to point out the fact that Jesus outranks him. It's like his favorite subject. It's like Jesus is just so much better than he is. And yet in these verses, it's it's also interesting that he lets them know by saying this, there's a person who I'm not worthy, right, to untie his sandals, that the person they are looking for, right, it's like a foreshadow, it's like he's here. Like, I know you guys think this person's here. Guess what? He is. And so, yeah, you guys should be searching for this person. And so because John knew his identity, who he was and who he was and who he served, he lived in a manner that drew attention. Everybody wants to talk to John, and yet he never used that attention to profit it for himself. He ate locusts and wild honey. He didn't even get a good meal out of this, right? Unless unless you like locusts and wild honey. But he didn't get anything out of this. 
He just wanted to point people to Jesus. And like John, we should live the same way, live as a light to this world so people notice something about us, come to us, and so that way we could actually point people to in Jesus, to invite people to church. So the last question is, are you spreading the knowledge of Jesus? You know, we've talked about it. There's no other way to be saved. There's people out there who aren't saved, and they're not going to know unless we tell them. And so I want to encourage you with the truth of Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, and I would add, and also to the people of Bakersfield, because it's true. That we just be faithful like John, just to do what we were called to do. We weren't called to be like insanely popular or famous or awesome, but just do what we were called to do, which is to, to share the gospel, to talk about Jesus. We have to put the gospel in play. Whether we're embarrassed about it, whether we think we can communicate it or not is irrelevant. You know, what this verse says is the gospel is the power. Like none of us has the ability to give a presentation that's going to make somebody love light more than darkness, right? We'll see that in this book. People love darkness more than light, but the gospel has that power. But we have to put the gospel in play, and so we have to present the gospel and let the Lord do what the Lord is going to do. It shouldn't be our stress or concern at all. And lastly, if you would call yourself a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus is awesome, that's what your life is all about. If you haven't been baptized, and I don't know who all has been baptized, we need to do that. And so let me know as soon as possible because we need to get you baptized. And so church, like John, let's just know who, we're, who we aren't, know who we are, know who we serve, and make Jesus known. Let me pray for us. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.